Today's episode is proudly sponsored by the Rising Tide Mastermind. The Rising Tide Mastermind is one of my favorite things that I look forward to each and every week because I get to see people that have my best interest in mind. I know this because I have their best interest in mind. And when you get people together in a room like that, you can just imagine how people want to help other people. If this sounds like something you want to learn more about, go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind. Welcome to the Scaling Up H2O podcast, a podcast where we scale up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. And of course, I'm your host, Trace Blackmore, certified water technologist. Now, here's the cool thing. We have listeners all over the globe, and our listening numbers are increasing each and every day. Here in the United States, we are getting ready to celebrate the 4th of July. We, of course, call this Independence Day. I asked a friend of mine who resides in the United Kingdom. They call it the Day of Disobedience. So whatever you call it, the 4th of July is a celebration that uh, I'm going to extend no matter where you live. And this is how I am going to do it. You all know that I am very passionate about sharing my passion to learn about the industrial water treatment industry. And I hope you caught whatever I have and it is an infection for you to go out there and learn so much about this awesome industry that we are in. And there's one thing that you can do that I think really shows everybody that you're doing that, especially yourself. And that is getting your certified water technologist designation. And I am here to motivate you the best way that I know how to motivate anybody. And I am going to save you money. As you know, if you go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash CWT prep, you will see that we have a CWT course that will take you through a practice exam so you can learn test-taking tips, so you can affirm some of the topics that you know and I give you references so you can learn more about the topics you want to learn more about why haven't you signed up yet? Why haven't you scheduled your certified water technologist designation? Well, I don't know the answer to that, but I'm hoping to take away yet another barrier. And I truly believe that one of the barriers that people do not sign up to take their examination is they feel that they are underprepared. So this course is designed to help you feel better about that. So again, why haven't you scheduled the exam or why haven't you signed up for the CWT practice course? Well, maybe it was because of money. So happy 4th of July, everybody. I am offering to everybody that signs up right now to celebrate us celebrating the 4th of July, no matter where you live on the globe, 10% off. And in order to do that, you go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash CWT prep and you are going to select the CWT prep course, and you're gonna put in discount code CWT10. Now, I urge you, as soon as you hear this, to go ahead and act on it because this coupon will not be available for long. So this is my gift to you, and hopefully this is the last barrier that is in your way to get you to achieve your certified water technologist designation. Scout Up Nation, something that I hope is on your calendar is July 13th, we are having 
our next hang. And of course, the hang is where we get together as industrial water treaters. We meet new people and we simply have fun. If you've ever been on a hang before, you know you want to be on the hang again. If you've never been on the hang, you don't know what you're missing. But trust me, you're going to meet people that you're going to be able to rely on for questions you don't even know you have right now. And you're going to do this in a forum that is packed with an hour of fun. To find out more about The Hang, you can go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash hang, and you can sign up and find out all the information right there. And I'm hoping one of the topics is going to be, have you signed up to take your CWT? And if you haven't, have you signed up for the CWT prep course so you can feel confident in signing up for your CWT? So that promotion is still going to be going on, hopefully, with the hang. Once again, that's CWT10 by going to scalinguph2o.com forward slash CWT prep. Again, we're talking about the hang here, but it is my hope that when we go to the AWT annual convention, that we just have so many people line up to be recognized because they achieved their certified water technologist designation this year. I can't wait to shake your hand and tell you congratulations because really there is not anything else you can do in this industry to show the world that you are taking this industry seriously and you are taking credit for all the things that you've learned as you have been in this industry. So speaking of that, we have the Association of Water Technologies Annual Conference, October 4th through 7th, and that's going to be in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So it's my hope that you are one of the people that I get the pleasure of recognizing by saying thank you for getting your CWT on October 4th. Nation, all this information and all the other conferences that we have listed for you are very easy for you to reference. You can go to our events page and we've got everything listed, what you need to know, where you need to go, and it is simply done through clicks. Our great staff here at Scaling Up H2O is making this so easy for you. And that's just one of many things that are on our website. You can pretty much search every episode we have ever done by going to scalinguph2o.com. Nation, as you know, education is my passion. And it's my hope that you are doing something to learn something, just one thing, each and every day. I promise if you do that, your job will never be boring. And somebody who is never boring and helping us make sure we are not bored as we are doing our jobs, here's James McDonald. Hello and welcome to the Periodic Water Table with James, where we think and learn about water chemistry drop by drop. Please use your week to search online, ask your colleagues, or even pick up a book to learn more about each week's periodic water table topic. If you do, at the end of the year, you'll be 52 water chemistry smarter. So let's raise the water table of knowledge together and get started. Today's topic is... Sulfuric Acid What are all its uses in industrial water treatment, for both water treatment and testing? What is its chemical formula and molecular weight? When used for pH control in cooling towers, what is the feed ratio of sulfuric acid to alkalinity? What can happen when sulfuric acid is overfed? How does the density of sulfuric acid compare to water? What concentrations of sulfuric acid are used in water treatment? When combining acid and water, which should be added to which? Should acid be added to water or vice versa? What are the consequences if you get this wrong? Can feeding sulfuric acid actually cause scale formation? What alternative acids are available? Can bacteria produce sulfuric acid? 
We have made it halfway through the year, a periodic water table with James. We just covered our 27th chemical. Thanks for coming along for the ride. We have many more to go. Remember, knowledge is power, and taking the time to learn more about water chemistry each week will help make you a force to be reckoned with. Be sure to post what you learned to social media and tag it with hashtag watertable23 and hashtag scalinguph2o. I look forward to learning more from you. Thank you, James. Wanation, I met our next guest through a mutual friend, and it was one of those interviews where I just felt like I knew this person before I actually knew them. We had a lot of things in common, a lot of energy on this interview, and I know that you are going to enjoy it. Here's the interview. My lab partner today is Ryan Tansom of Arcona. Ryan, welcome to the Scaling Up H2O podcast. Trace, good to see you again, my friend. Absolutely. I have been looking forward to this. You and I met a couple of months ago, and I felt like I reconnected with an old friend. It's so enjoyable when that happens, too. It's like, wait a second. I think we had like a 30-minute call scheduled, and we were trying to wrap up after about an hour. (laughs) (laughs) It was one of those. Exactly. So I know this is going to be a fun interview, uh, but I want to start it off right. So do you mind telling the Scaling Up Nation a bit about yourself? Sure. How, do, how, how much of the backdrop do you want? You want kind of the cliff note and then we can unpack or what? Yeah, like, let's do that. Kind of- let's do that because <laughs> I've got a lot of questions I want to ask because I want to know myself. So I'll just kind of give, uh, I'll, I'll do the cliff note version of my entrepreneurial journey started in the family business. My dad mortgaged our house, bought a semi-truck full of copiers in the 90s, uh, risked it all and scaled up our business doing copiers and then maintenance behind it from zero to 21 million, 115 employees. Worked on the business my whole life, Trace, and then um, swore in my grave, just like a lot of family businesses and probably a lot of people <laughs> listening in, I'm not going to do it, not going to do it. I ended up joining full-time in 09, and uh, that year was hard for everybody uh, with a a great financial crisis, and we ended up losing close to a million bucks that year. And so my dad and I spent, uh, he was very distant from the business, had been uh, going through a bunch of stuff. And so we we got in, and we just ended up taking the next almost six years to turn the business around. So new accounting packages, sold two branches for cash, replaced about 60% of the employees. I built out the managed IT services and the software automation, and then we rebranded so we could compete. Just all these things, Tracers, out of pure grit. And can't, I mean, there was no plan B. There wasn't like, oh, well, what else should we do? So I say all that because then we got to this point, which I think a lot of the listeners, there's probably going to be a lot we can unpack here. My dad and I got to the point where I was managing the business. There was a dotted line from the CFO to him. He was him and I would do the bank and the CPA meetings and all that stuff together. And we couldn't figure out like how to align our goals long term. So he wanted to essentially have more cash flow and not to work in the business. And I was piling all the uh, money in for growth which is not what he wanted. He didn't want the headache. So, you know, week after week, it's like, hey, I want out. What should we do? And it was this whole conversation back and forth. I couldn't get the clarity on how to get untrapped from that trace. So we ended up taking the company to market and selling it to a competitor in 2014. Nature of that deal was, is they had to fire 60% of our employees. So I had to fire 60 people. And I went back and we pay off your debt, paid a lot in taxes. And I went, what the heck was that, man? So that was in 2014, and I went from running a $20 million business at the age of 27, and that was almost 10 years ago now, and to sitting in a cube next to an intern. I'm like, that's not really what I wanted. And so like, that would have been nice to know. There's no take backs, by the way, when you sell a business generally. Um, But so Trace, over the next nine years, I spent every waking minute of my life trying to figure out what had happened and how to not become part of the problem, but how to help people. And it's really how to teach them how to fish. And what I came to, and this is what we can unpack, is there's this concept that so what we've created called intentional growth. And it's got five principles that help people view and run the company like a financial asset so they can grow the value of the company, equity value, and we can unpack that too. So they have choices, Trace. So it doesn't matter about... It's not about selling or exiting or like any of those, you know, four letter words. It's about any asset, whether it's a stock or whether it's a house or commercial property or a company, we want it to grow in value and have the choices. And we have an understanding of what those choices are. So we pick the right one that 
aligns with our goals. So kind of like I've told more of the background story than more of the what's today, but like, I think it's just so helpful to be like, I get what it's like to feel trapped to have those groundhog day conversations. And it's like, how do we get out of this, this circus? Well, and the thing you said is your business is an asset and everybody gets that, whether you own the company or you work for the company, you get that. That's the largest asset, but very few people treat it that way. I mean, we've got better systems to manage our truck fleet than we do our businesses. <laughs> Yeah. Inventory systems and you got the time and material or you got the, you know, any of that stuff, hundred percent. And Trace, like this is actually one of the core findings that I found over the last 10 year journey is, and it took me a long time, Trace, to like realize that I had a lot of, I don't want to call it shame because that's not the right word, but like we should have known that, you know, like it was like everybody else must have this figured out. <laughs> And like, I'm all laughing because after 10 years, I realized that we were just like a lot of everybody else. Of, you know, we were in Vistage and all these different, you know, I know you got peer groups and all that. So we were working on those resources. But the reality was, here's why I love doing what I'm doing is that the reason I think my dad and I didn't view and treat it like a financial asset is because we didn't understand how valuations of privately held companies worked. So if you think about it, like if you and I bought a piece of commercial real estate for an investment, and we didn't know what grew value. We just buy random stuff. Like, should we put a big aquarium in the middle of it for a million dollars, Trace? I don't know. Is it like, how do you, <laughs> right? Exactly. That's, you know, AKA someone's proprietary ERP system that no one else knows how to use, right? Like there's so many of these analogies, but like, I think the reason, and because my dad and I managed the company, revenue, gross profit, what's in the bank account? Revenue, gross profit, what's in the bank account? And like, you just kind of do that hamster wheel, but like, so if you have a decision of like, hey, we should take some money out for distributions or should we get a new truck fleet software system or the, inv the new inventory system or hire that next field technician or sales rep, what's the trade-off? You're just guessing. If you don't have, like, because if we go back to that commercial real estate example, you and I would know if we put in a $50,000 HVAC system, we're using cash, but it's, grow it's keeping the asset value where it is or growing it, right? So I think it's that knowledge that is kind of one of the biggest gaps. So I know you have worked with several water treatment companies. Have you found that they are any different than any other company? No, I, uh, the gentlemen, uh, the, the guys that we're talking about, like, you know, this is what I love. What I do is they're just like, I just remember what it's like. You know, you got thousands of customers, you're trying to figure out which customers to serve who to do what to, trying to be a good company, trying to work with your employees, trying to make enough money to pay for everybody's salaries while also making it worth it for the owners. And you're just kind of working through, and it's very similar, Trace. And, and, I, and I say that because what I have found over the last 10 years, especially with my podcast, is that there's this Venn diagram that I like is like, if you have one circle that is operations and another circle is finance, and the overlap is kind of what we're trying to encourage here because finance is generally private equity, venture capital, all the spreadsheet jockeys, but they've never sat down with a field technician or customer service and had to have an employee review meeting with someone that's not doing well. That's a family member's friend from, you know what I mean? Like been here for 20 years. It's like that, that nuance is not in the spreadsheet. And then you have the operators that don't understand normalized EBITDA, deal structures, you know, like equity valuation, trade-offs of all that stuff. So like, there's like, hey, we need to sync those up. So the operator, the people that have privately held companies that are generally craftspeople, like we were salespeople, right? We weren't private equity engineers. <laughs> we knew how to sell copiers. And then I built up this managed IT services because the customers needed it. Not because I had some grand plan of, you know, building some huge asset and rolling up an entire industry. Well, and the reason I mentioned that is so many times water treatment company owners think that our business is so different from everybody else's. And it's really not. We might have some unique technical issues when we're out in the field, but a business is a business. And if we're not running that properly... Is the business running us or do we really know what's going on? Understood. And for how I'd address that, because every industry is unique, but what is not unique, because I don't want to take it because I trust me, man. I remember like these consultants who come in and be like, all right, I need to now tell them exactly how imaging path, that was the name of our old business works or how our Kona works now. 
And then people would listen because in like legal, it's like, yeah, there are things that are there. 80% is the same. 20% is different. The typical 80, 20. And so trace, what does that mean for what is the same from the water treatment industry versus the HVAC industry versus, you know, whatever it might be is that there's goods and services that is revenue. There's a cost to those goods and services, and then there's overhead and then there's cash flow, right? So if it's an asset, regardless, if you and I are investors, Trace, and we want to deploy and invest a million dollars, we'd say, what should we invest that in, right? Hopefully a diversified portfolio, but we'd say, okay, commercial real estate, maybe stocks and bonds. Do we want income-based assets or equity growth assets, right? The reality is every asset is based on cash flow, dude, right? Unless it's a high growth stock that is going to consume cash, but you're only going to invest in a high growth stock if you have equity growth, right? Otherwise, you're not going to do it. So my point is what's the same about the water treatment industry or the copyright industry or the consulting industry, or you have a group of people and things that come together to do things, revenue generating goods or services that generate cash flow. And how sustainable, predictable, and transferable that cash flow is, is directly correlated to the value of that company. Because if you and I have invested in a company or a piece of real estate, if it has lumpy cash flow and we don't know when we're going to have to burn the cash flow to put it in that HVAC system or to put it in that inventory system, like we're not going to pay very much for it because we don't trust the future cash flows. So there's the guts of the machine, like HR, operations, IT, leadership, sales, marketing, you know, that are whether you're a lemonade stand or water treatment company, you have those functions, the good or service that you're providing is the unique thing. I love how you describe that. Well, let's back up just a little bit. How do you go from the unfortunate event where you had to fire 60% of your team and now doing what you're doing now? So after we had sold, I'd read this book, Finish Big by Bo Burlingham, editor of Inc. Magazine and uh, founder of Small Giants. And he interviewed 300 business owners, Trace, about why they exited their business and essentially their satisfaction level. And he figured out that out of 300 people, 75% of them were unhappy and 25% of them were happy, regardless of how much money they made. And I was like, well, wouldn't that have been nice to know? Because... I was totally in the camp of 75% because I didn't get what I wanted. That the gap of the expectations and realities hit me right between the fit or between the eyes. And so my whole desire was I want to go help. I want to go help and not be part of the problem. And generally, when I think if you kind of pull on the earlier topic of the main thing that I now know is people need to view and run the company like an asset. So I could have gone into private equity and taken advantage of people, buying companies and not always taking advantage, but there was a high opportunity to do so. Investment banking, where you make money off of selling a company, because once you get it, it's like playing chess. Like once you get it, you get it compared to like, you know, going leveling up from checkers to chess. You're like, oh, so then the people like so many entrepreneurs that I've interviewed, Trace, they go from like kind of the resentful, I wish I would have done things differently. And I've got hundreds of podcasts of them telling that story. I'm like, so what did you do now? Well, now I buy companies and I get to create the wealth. And I'm like, well, so like, who's going to help these people? So I decided I wanted to teach people how to fish. So I wanted to teach people how this stuff works. And I didn't want to tie to their outcome. And so Trace, if, if I was working with you, it'd be like, hey man, what's your goals? Truly, from valuation to income to legacy, and we use these five principles to help answer those questions, and then we just back into that. But I don't want to ever tell someone what to do because I've taken stupid risks myself my whole life for the desire to keep my control. I will own my failures, but I want that failure to be there for me, and I think every owner wants their choices. So it's like, hey, here's how it works. What are the trade-offs? Right. And so my point is all of that led to the education that or the education. Arcona was formed at the end of 2018 and we started with education first. And it was just a, a program to teach people about this stuff. You think about sitting there at the deal table, the Super Bowl of your entrepreneurial career, or you're going to pass it on to your kids or whatever. And you kind of just go like this. I think it's going to work. <laughs> and I don't want people to do that, man. Well, your tagline is intentional growth. And I love that because most companies don't think about growth. They just think, let's grow at all costs. Let's grow. 
And as you know, there is a very good likelihood you can grow yourself out of mm -hmm. business. So when you talk about intentional growth, what do you mean? So first of all, let's unpack. Yeah, I will, I will tell you that. I'll lead up to our definition of intentional growth and how to actually apply it. But like, I think about what we used to do and what I see regardless of the water treatment industry or any industry, HVAC or even sophisticated industries that are like, you know, high in tech or whatever is when I sit in and I do all these Vistage or keynote presentations and I go, hey, what's your goal? You know what I usually get? 20 million, 5 million. 40 million. I want to go from 50 to 100 million, whatever the numbers are, their revenue. And then I go and I just listen to people because that's what us entrepreneurs talk about. What is your revenue and how many employees you have? And then I go, I had a $21 million business with 115 employees and we lost $950,000. And if we would have sold the company, we would have owed the bank money. So try me again. I think that goal sucks because <laughs> I can tell you for a fact, it didn't solve our problems. So then I like, then I kind of get people's attention because it's like, well, that's what people are marching towards. And it's the revenue, good gross profit, what's in the bank account. And then let's hope that someone comes with a bag of money for my, that just so happens to equal my retirement when I want to get out. That's what generally most people do. So intentional growth is Trace, what is your goal, man? And so there are three things that the intentional growth really helps people think about through these five principles. And we can get into the five principles, but there's these three outcomes. One is get clear on what you want from the business and why. From your role to your legacy to your community, like you have to know that because like 80% of deals don't close and it's because people forget about this stuff because everybody's focused on the mechanics, not the emotions. Like I didn't want to fire 60 people, Trace. I had built a legacy and I had built a really cool way of operating in our industry that was destroyed. And that sucked, even though I got the money. So what do you want from the business and why? And truly thinking about that. Then the second one is come up with a target equity, huge important part, equity valuation you want at a point in time. And I say that because I don't care if you say, I never want to exit. Well, we're all, we all die. So like, let's not just state the obvious, but the reason that we say target equity valuation at a point in time is because like you or anybody can then reverse engineer that plan. So if you need a valuation, say, hey, Trace, you need a million dollars in normalized EBITDA in 2026 to get to your five or six million dollar equity valuation. Okay, well, let's reverse engineer that. If you don't give me that, we're just get, we're just hoping, you know, and it's the same thing with private equity. The thing that God bless them or hate them, they have a specific point in time that they're working towards and it's it's intentional whether it's right or wrong you know like how they operate like that's a whole different conversation but they're working towards something so you have a what do you want from the business and why then you have a target equity valuation at a point in time and when we back into those uh those financial statements trace we can say hey by the way trace you have to grow at 70 percent compounded annual growth rate to get there and you're not going to have enough cash what do you want to do about it so the second part of that equity valuation is what is the income that you want on the way there from salary and distributions? Because when we back into that, we might say, well, Trace, you're taking too much out of the business. You can't pay your taxes and fund that growth rate. Do you want to push down the valuation target, push out the goal, take less in distributions? But like, I'm not Houdini, man. Like, I'm not just going to give you random money and help you fund a you know, cash burning company. So like I, what that does is present the constraints to people. Then there's the third thing, which is after you know what you want from the business and why, you have a target equity valuation and, a, and an income target on the way there, then you can say, hey, Trace, what do you want your leadership role to evolve to on the way there? Because we've been talking, we haven't covered this yet, but ownership in the equity of the asset is concerned about equity growth and, and distributions. Leadership roles are concerned with operating the business and managing people and employees and the numbers and the operations. So that third takeaway is if you said, hey, Ryan, I want to move from the CEO role to maybe chief revenue officer. That's what I'm doing. I don't want to be the CEO, man. I, I like doing what I'm doing. I'm not good at that job. So you can move your role and still have ownership. And most people don't realize that. So those three takeaways, Trace, are really what help with intentional growth. And the definition is purposeful action towards a clearly identified outcome. 
what I love about that is you're beginning with the end in mind. And there's so many business owners that never think about the end. It's scary. I can't imagine what I do after this business. Or I've invested all this time in my people and they become my extended family and Mm -hmm. I don't want to leave them. So it's scary to think about what the next chapter is. So most people don't do it. Let's unpack how the, the words you chose impact what we think about. And this is this is not a knock on you. It's just I, I, what I'm trying. This is I view this as part of my mission is trying to insert new verbiage for people to think about this stuff. So you said, hey, I love the back into what the end in mind. So reverse engineer with the end in mind. However, when people let's, let's start with the story that I like to really hammer home this point. People call me every week, Trace, and they have for almost a decade. Ryan, I want out. And now because it's taken me a long time to figure this out, my response would be, hey, Trace, what do you want out of? Your job or your asset? And then people go, hmm. <laughs> and and it's because they don't usually know. And then I, I give them, and I'm like, hey, people don't call me and be like, hey, Ryan, I really want out of my million-dollar mailbox money while I sit on the beach in Florida and my president runs my company. I'm actually good with that. Sign me up for that. Yeah, exactly. No one wants out of that. And it, usually what they want out of is employees and headaches and supply chain issues and personal guarantees. And blah, like, so they want out of their job. And the reason I say this is important because when you reverse engineer that third part, so those three takeaways are so important because your leadership role, if, I, if we unpack that, that question, Trace, I'm like, hey, do you need the money? Do you need the monetize and get a bag of cash right now? You might say, no, actually I don't. Well, okay. Now we have some options. So Trace, hey, do, maybe do we have six months to 12 months where if we continue growing this company, you have enough distributions for your income and then we could replace your salary with the president and then the president can run the company. I have a client that just did this. So that he actually is moving to Hawaii while keeping his $18 million manufacturing company. Like He's like, no, I don't need out of the asset. I actually love the asset because the asset's kicking out cash and I did a lot of hard work over the last five years to get the financials in order, get the plan put together, get the president in place. And there's no risk in the industry right now. And I don't know what I would do with the money and where I would invest it if I sold it. So like, I want to keep it, but I hate my job. (laughs) So so we got him out of his job. So that's why I say out of what? Because when someone says, I want to exit my business, I don't even know what people mean anymore. So like, that's why it's so important because- the, the flip is also important where if you said, hey, Ryan, I love my job, like love it, love my industry, love my community, like that was me. I love the industry, love the topics, love the community, love the strategies, love the conferences, love my CEO peer group. I'm really sick of being cash broke. Like I'm really sick of rolling all the money back in to hire the next person. I need to monetize some of my company, aka take some chips off the table. Well, did you know that you could do an ESOP, sell it to your employees, a partial ESOP or all of it, take your chips off the table, still be the CEO, control the entire strategic direction of the company, still get a, a paycheck and be a board member. Like if you like your job, but you want to monetize your asset, there's a way to do that. But if you hate your job, but you, you it's like, Trace, what do you want? That's why what do you want is so important. <laughs> It's a great question. So what are the options if somebody says, you know, it's time for me to exit? What are the options for them to do so? So we have these and that's uh, that's principle number three. It's called exit options. And the reason that they're principle number three is the first one is your vision. What do you want from the business and why? Second one is the financial targets. There are three of them and it helps put the business as an asset into perspective to understand the equity growth and and the income. But I say that because then we get to the exit options. Each of these five exit options, so I bucketed them into five buckets. And I did this after after about 10 years, all the books and all the interviews and all this stuff. I say, hey, you know what? Technically, there's like an infinite amount of ways you could structure a deal and sell your company. You know what that does for us? Nothing. That doesn't help us at all. We need to synthesize this. and say, So what I did is we came up with 17 attributes that bucketed the exit options into five buckets. Think about them kind of like mammals. You have dogs, horses, cats. They're different, and but there's a lot of versions of dogs. And so I'm saying that to kind of give myself an out of like, this isn't perfect, but it's giving us a, a, a framework to think about this. So there are five. The first one is internal. So that could be uh, family members, partners, or managers. Second one is acquisition entrepreneurs. That's from my, my uh, uh, dear friend, Walker Dyla wrote the book, Buy Then Build. 
search funds. Essentially, you got the key executive or uh, the uh, high-powered, skilled executive that wants to go raise some money and go buy a company. The, the third one is ESOPs, so employee uh, stock ownership plans. The fourth one is private equity. And the fifth one is strategic buyers. Like strategic buyers could be owned by a private equity firm, but like essentially these five buckets cover most of them. You could for sure do an IPO. I just don't play in that space. And I don't think your audience or my audience is dealing much with public offerings. I'm acknowledging it's there. So here's the important part, Trace. Every one of those five exit options I just mentioned impact principle one and two wildly different. They impact your role. Like, I mean, I still do a third party. They fired 60% of the employees and me and I had no control. And like, so depending on what I wanted for my business and when and how I wanted my money, principle one and two, those should be a lens to say, hey, what's the timeline for the equity valuation to get each one of these options? Do you feel more like a strategic buyer would be the right choice or a private equity firm? Maybe an ESOP, maybe an internal, but how those are valued, you can reverse engineer the perfect exit to an ESOP or a private equity firm if you focus on building that sustainable, predictable, transferable cash flow. But when and how after the deal, it'll impact your role. It'll impact when and how you get your money and your control post-closing. So I would say you use principle one and two to then layer that on, come up with your desired options. And then principle four, so I'm just kind of rolling here, is that grow value to create the options. You're not committing to anything right now. But like for me, I as an entrepreneur, I will wake up and eat glass if I know that there's a purpose to it. Like it's getting me somewhere, not just hopefully this works, <laughs> you know? So like it's, it. You, I think a lot of people think that they're committing to death, estate plan. And like, no, you don't have to like, if you can monetize your business and still be the CEO if you want. There's so many choices, but you have to think about it the right way. Right now in the water treatment industry, what's going on is probably north of 60% of all the water treatment companies in our country are aging out as far as their ownership. And they're trying to figure out what they're going to do with their businesses. Many of them don't want to leave their businesses. Some of them have family members involved. Some of them are looking for, you know, what do I do? So it's great that you described the five buckets, but there are so many listeners here today that are thinking, this is me. I haven't thought about it uh, like I should have. Now I need to start thinking about it. So if they just started thinking about it today, what advice do you have for them? And this is going to probably suck for an answer for everybody, but like, it's like the whole thing about planting in a tree. Would have been great to do it 30 sure. years ago, but do it today or you're going to keep complaining about it. Like it's the same thing with weight loss and all that other stuff, right? Like I think that one of the biggest challenges that I see with, with all of our clients, the people I work and present with is like the, just the denial, just denial of like, because there's all of the scare. Like I remember being scared. Like we didn't have a pot to piss in for cash trees. So everybody thinks the Tansoms are super rich and we're going, everything's personally guaranteed. We got stuff on our personal credit cards. And like, and so you're going like, Hey Ryan, you want to exit? You're like, with for what? Like you, most people can't even think about this because they're managing that day-to-day -day chaos of business. And so I'd say like, first of all, give yourself the grace to think about this. And you're not selling yourself to the devil by thinking about your future. And you're not committing to an exit. You're not committing to firing your employees. And I think, Trace, one of the best, well, I mean, I can, I could go back to my company financials and show you the moment that we rebranded as intentional growth three years ago, it used to be called the growth and exit program. And it was like, I couldn't sell it to, to anybody. <laughs> like, you know, and the word exit has got such a visceral reaction in people but then I transferred it and I said, I didn't change the program at all. And I just said, hey, why don't you call, why don't you intentionally grow and view and run your company like an, a financial asset? What do we want to do with financial assets? We want them to grow in equity value. We want to monetize them when and how we want without sacrificing things that are important to us. And we want to do it in the most tax efficient way, right? There's no like scary exit death word tied to that. So I think like thinking about this differently, giving yourself some grace, thinking about it like an asset, no, like knowing how, like how much of your net worth is tied up into this asset. And if you don't know how valuations work or what yours is worth and 
by the way, the valuation is not how much money goes into your pocket. I think just the fear trace is, and I, it's real, man. I dealt with it, but I want to take that away from people. Like, Hey, this can be exciting and you can bring expectations and reality together, but like, it sucks to look in the mirror sometimes. <laughs> right. It absolutely does. Well, speaking of looking in the mirror, there's a lot of people that don't own the company and they're looking in the mirror and they're thinking, I want to own this company. I want to be the solution for whatever the next chapter is. What advice do you have for them? The only thing that matters to everybody is the stuff that we're talking about here. So like I was that person, Trace, trying to get my dad out. What happened was I couldn't answer that question. So the entire six years of blood, sweat, and tears that I put into our business, I didn't get to reap the rewards of because we couldn't figure out the question you just asked me. So if I would have used, I mean, I built the business I wish I would have had to have the conversation to avoid exactly what I went through, which is the question you just asked, which is if I would have figured out, because here's what my dad said, I went out. Okay. Out of what? We didn't know how to, we didn't know what that meant. And then I can guarantee one person listening in is going to know what I'm talking about here. He's like, wait a second. I'm just going to fund the buyout with the cash flow of the company that I already own. So you can just buy me out with my own cash flow. Why the hell would I ever do that? And then I'm sitting there going, wait, you want me to just grow the value of this thing to then double the purchase price that I have to pay from you? <laughs> like, I mean, back, forth, back, forth, back, forth, back, forth, argument, argument, argument. And then I'm sitting there going like, you gave me a target of hitting 25 million, but then you're sucking all the cash out. So how am I supposed to fund the growth plan to the 25 million of the company that I'm supposed to double in value to pay you? And the conflict is crazy. No, like rightfully so if you, if you frame it that way. But if you say, Corey, what, my dad, Corey, what do you want? He just didn't want to talk about copiers and didn't want to go into that building anymore, Trace. Hmm. If I would have said, if we split leadership and ownership and said, okay, Corey, you need the, the company to be worth a little bit more, right? And you need more cash flow for me to increase my salary to the CEO. So I want the CEO salary. We need to increase the cash flow to pay for my salary to replace yours. And we need to get his replacement of his salary with the distributions. Then there could be enough cash flow to fund that buyout. So if Here's the unifying factor trace is what is the target equity valuation that the main owner needs? Then when during that between point A and point B, will that second person that wants to buy that, when can they buy the ownership and increase their, their role? There's such an easy way to figure this out if, the, if everything's mapped out like that. Then you can work through control and say, okay, at what point is then the person that's buying it? The, the whole deal should go through. So that person can also, so that way resentment doesn't build, that person should buy the company either like there should be a very clean way of doing that. So that way the original owner isn't keeping one share saying, nope, Trace, I don't like that software system. Yet you're the grown up who is still running everything and you don't have actual autonomy. So I'd say like there's a very mathematical way to build this out, but through the operating agreement and other things, structure it the way that resentment doesn't grow. It definitely is a charged emotional conversation. What is your advice to get past that charge, that emotional, oh my gosh, I've got all this stuff in my head. You're trying to take advantage of me, all of this. How do you get past that so you can do all those things you just mentioned? So I don't like conflict a ton. I'm in sales guy, visionary. I love people. And so what you're just describing, I mean, I truly... I was having all those conversations with my dad charged, like you said. And if I would have had the knowledge of these concepts, I could have, I could have realized, Trace, so if, if we were to just role play and we're not going to, but like if you were my dad and you're like, oh, I want this and I thought, and like, so instead of me rebuttaling saying, well, I want this and you're saying, well, I want this and you're saying, well, I want this. Well, no one knows how any of the hell of this stuff works. But it's like, if we said, okay, out of five principles, hey, Trace, what is actually important to you out of the business? What's important out of the stakeholders? What's important out of your job? What do you want? Like, truly, I have to figure out what do you want from this? If you're the actual main owner, the founder of second gen, and we're passing to third, whatever it is, what the heck do you want this to be like over time? And the second principle is, hey, in order for me to actually buy this from you, Trace, you should probably know what is the value of this company? Can you afford to retire from your net worth perspective and your cash flow perspective? If Trace can't afford to retire, there's zero chance I'm buying this company from you because you can't. And then, so like we have to, these are building blocks of, of concepts 
So then once we understand and introduce that concept of like leadership versus ownership is different. Trace, what do you want from your leadership role? Oh, oh, well, if we unpack this, oh, you just literally don't want a job anymore, but you still need the same income. There's a way to figure that out. It's the five principles, man. It's just knowledge. If you don't know how this stuff works, you're good. The human default is self-preservation and you're going to only be able to have a discussion with someone with whatever knowledge that you have. What is that? Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Is that what you run through? Totally, man. And like so many business owners and it's a kind of a weird, it's also correlated to me with the massive amount of wealth inequality that we have these days. I mean, you, you're not going to ask someone like, Hey, what's your 30 year vision when they can't afford their tomorrow's meal. So there's a lot of too, like if people are juggling cash flow that much, they're not going to be able to sit and pontificate about the future. So I think there's a little bit of, you know, get things stable then start thinking through because you're right. You can't, your prefrontal cortex can't think about the future. If you're not sure if you can meet tomorrow. This is all great. Uh, I know you take businesses through this every single day. So if somebody were to engage with you, what would that process look like? So there's three revenue streams of our business. One is education. One is a financial dashboard and roadmap. And the third one is fractional CFO services. So let's put the services over for a second because we've been talking a lot about education. And the services really just spawned out of the last three years of growth where the out of the education people are like, we need help. So we were just responding to the marketplace. But for the education, Trace, we have an online version and an in-person boot camp. So some of the folks that we've talked about attended an in-person boot camp. It's two days and it's about the five principles. We use two case studies of a 10 million in revenue, million in EBITDA and like take the whole journey. So it's an online version or an in-person. This, uh, the curriculum's the same. It's kind of just more like listening preferences or like learning preferences. So that's all on the website. And then the, uh, the services, there's just a complimentary financial assessment that we go through to figure out if it's a fit or not on either of the services. What are the top things you want to make sure that listeners get from today's interview? I truly believe that if people understand the material that, that we teach, and I didn't make any of this stuff up, Trace. I just organized in a way that hopefully makes sense, is that it doesn't have to be the biggest mountain that you avoid. Like there's nothing worse than avoiding something. And then you just say just the anxiety starts to creep. And then the stress and all that stuff. So like, I just know it doesn't have to be that way because I, I, I ran a business like that and I had conflict with my dad. So I had no clear plan and I had a lot of conflict and that sucks. And I just don't think it has to be that way. And so I think that would be the one thing that that is possible to manage the business and actually fall back in love with your business and your job if you've got that kind of expectation and, and reality. Um, once you have that knowledge, there's then the second thing I would say is I have watched people now put intentional effort like, and just get the valuation and get exactly what they want, man. Like, it's so cool. And after doing this for now four years with Arcona, I've watched people with very successful big businesses that we've worked with say, I want all these things. And then they just don't do anything. And guess what happens over three years? Nothing. Or it gets worse. And I had uh, this guy that I, he, we brought him on. He was losing $2 million a year. Now he's making four hundred grand a month. And he moved to Hawaii. And he hired a president. And he kept his business. And another guy, he he like he, he did a valuation. He had a software development company with 50 employees four years ago. It was a five and a half million dollar valuation. Not enough. Loved his business. Wanted to sell to an ESAB because it's like the cult, tech culture of bean bags and palm trees and all that stuff. And he then spent four years building the business the way it should through sustainable, predictable, transferable cash flow. And he did an ESAB for $15 million last year. Pre-engineered wealth, man. So like, it's possible to engineer the outcome that you want as long as your expectations and reality around time, capital, and energy are aligned with your goal. Like I said, if you plan on growing 150% every year to hit your goal, like I'd say reality and expectations are a little out of whack. So it's like the education, then it's possible to truly get what you want as long as you do it. If somebody wants to learn more about you and Arcona, what should they do? Website, easiest place, arcona.io, A-R-K-O-N-A.io. The podcast is there. There's a financial checklist with a bunch of videos, Trace, and like how to, it's all free videos. So we have more videos. We, they could spend hours on the website. And there's a, I think there's even a link to book a call. We'll make sure to have all that link to our show notes page as well. There's so many things I want to ask you, but I know we only have so much time today. So let's get into our lightning round questions. And we're probably going to have you back because there's just a wealth of knowledge that you have. 
So let me ask you this. If you had the ability to go back in time, and I'm going to ask you this question in two different ways. So you can go back in time and talk to your former self when you were working with your dad. What would you tell yourself on your very first day? It's going to be a rough ride, but it's totally worth it. Same question, but now Arcona. It's going to be a rough ride, but it's totally <laughs> worth it. <laughs> there you go. Hey, there by the way, anybody that says business is a breeze, it's like the first, it's the people in the first pew at church. There's something going on. <laughs> first pew at church. There you go. Uh, what are the last few books that you've read? Uh, Psychology of Money was one of them. Uh, I'm almost done with Why We Sleep. And then, because um, I listen to about two to three a month, um, I'm trying to think what was the last one that, uh, other than that, I've gone down this ancient civilizations deal. So, well, Globlikely Tepe, I can never respond, uh, pronounce it, but Graham Hancock, this guy's ancient, ancient apocalypse on Netflix. And I went down a completely random rabbit hole to stop thinking about business. I'm curious. You said you listen to books. Do you use something like Audible? Yeah, I was terrible in school, Trace. I know this is a lightning round, but like, I was terrible in school. I barely, like, I mean, just terrible. And that's like the world's way of laughing. I mean, that now I'm an educator, but I, I learned by listening, man. So mm -hmm. I, like, I think I've listened to 350 books in the last seven years. And it's like a, just a downloading into my head. But like reading and writing and all that stuff was a little little rough on me in the, in the earlier days. Well, mine was time. And I never had time to sit mm. down and read a book, but I'm driving everywhere. And totally. Audible is just such an amazing resource. I'm curious because one of my podcast guests gave me this challenge at the beginning of the year, but he said, don't listen to it at one time speed and listen to it faster. Do you do that? It's funny because my wife and I have this debate. She listens to it at 1.5 and there's zero chance I can remember. So here's, and, and I learned this the, the, an interesting way is I listen to it on one times because I, my brain doesn't stop, dude. And so like, it, it, like I do all of my morning routine just to calm the freaking monkey brain down. And so for me, if it's at one times, I can actually be listening and having simultaneous thoughts, connecting dots without missing anything. But if it's all of a sudden it's 1.5, it's like, it's like you have to like hold on and you're just kind of like, <laughs> it's like drinking through a fire hose. I'm like, you can't think about the bird that chirped if it's listening, if you're going that fast. Well, the guy I was talking to, he, he listens to 300 books a year. And I was like, there is oh no way you can do that. Cause I'm always listening to something and I do maybe 50 to 60. And he said, well, I listened to it at 3.5 speed. I'm like, get out of here. There is no way that you can get content out of that. And he actually held up his, his Audible on the podcast. And, it was, and there was, I was like, there's no way that you could get anything out of that. And he actually writes a net out at every book that he listens to. And he told me exactly what they said during all that fast gibberish. And he said, this is how I did it. He said, I, I went from one time speed to 1.1 speed. And then the next week or whenever I wasn't even thinking about it, I went to 1.2 speed. It, it's like the frog in the water. You don't know you're boiling. <laughs> exactly. You're turning the heat up just slightly. So I really thought that that was the biggest load that I have ever heard. But I am now on 2.2 speed and I am getting great retention. Holy buckets, man. All right. I love it. I learned that. I'm for sure taking that into because <laughs> I, I started listening to this podcast recently called The Founders. Have you ever stumbled across mm -hmm. that one? I have not. Oh my God. So awesome. So I've been uh, a lot of biographies uh, I've gone through recently. And um, this this guy, he's a, I actually don't know much about the uh, the host because one of my friends sent it to me recently and I've been binging on it. He reads like a bio of like Albert Einstein or Thomas Edison or Benjamin Franklin. And then he gives you an hour and 10 minutes summary of it. And all through the lens of an entrepreneur. So he's like, oh my God. So he did this one recently I listened to with Henry Ford and Thomas Edison and Firestone were all friends that I didn't know. And he's like explaining how cool the story is through the lens of an entrepreneur business person trying to grow a company and how it relates to everything. So like, I'd rather listen to that because like those biographies, man, they're like 15 hours sometimes and they're dense, but it's like, you kind of want the cliff. No, I'd rather do that sometimes, I think. Well, let me let me now add a bonus question to the bonus questions. What are your top podcasts that you listen to? Oh boy, I actually just got back into podcasts, so I have not I have not listened to one of my own for seven years, and I 
now. So it's, I actually spend a lot of time on science and mental health. And uh, so like Andrew Huberman is one of my more recent favorite ones that I like. So any Peter Atiyah's got one as well. So like I get my fixation where like pretty much what I do, Trace, is like, and I don't know if you've done this with even books or podcasts, is if people are regurgitating other people's stuff, I have no interest really. And then it's like, so then I'll kind of claw my way up to like, oh, they've been mentioning this book all the time. So thinking fast and slow, read that one. And then you've kind of got the gist. And so with podcasts, I kind of do the same thing where now it's where like, if I've read a book, no, I mean, now everybody's got a podcast. So if I read a book that I like, the author generally has a podcast. So um, Peter Tia, Andrew Huberman, I'm trying to think there's any other ones. So those are the two t- for sure that, that are on the top. Love it. Who plays Ryan in the movie they make about Ryan Tansom? Oh my God. Some random person that no one knows. <laughs> I don't know enough actors' names, man. I, like, I was like, hey, that person from that, that movie or whatever. Only because we saw a movie with him in it this week that I even know his name, but uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is who I would I've gotten that before. And back when uh, Adam Levine was uh, on the screen all the time for what was that uh, music show that he was doing? Um, uh, was that The Voice? Was it? Yeah, The Voice. I kept going, oh, you look like Adam Levine. I'm like, I don't have any. I, it, just got, it happened so many times. Trace, I had like an actual canned response. <laughs> like, I can't sing, but he's got more tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> but there you go. There you go. Gets you into restaurants a little bit quicker. Bro. Yeah, there you go. All right, last question. You now have the ability to speak with anybody throughout history. Who would it be with and why? Benjamin Franklin, because my God, the amount of stuff that that guy has done that is impacting everybody that's listening in today still is insane. Like every time I hear, learn more about him, I'm like, I can't believe he did that in his spare time while he was doing something else. Yeah, the original mastermind founder, I think, Huntus. Yeah. And and like, I mean, honestly, man, like the amount of stuff that he invented, that was everything from social things to the mail. He didn't invent for the mail press, but like just, yeah. So I'd be, I just sit there and ask why as many times as I could. (laughs) Ryan, this has been a lot of fun, very informative. And I know a lot of people are thinking maybe it's not as scary as I'm thinking it is. And now I know how to start that conversation. So thanks for coming on Scaling Up H2O. Oh, thank you, Trace. I, I hope everybody knows that it is possible and people aren't judging them. And people have done really good work and hopefully the, the journey can be worth it. Scaling Up Nation, back on episode 313, I introduced you to a concept that I've used in leadership for many years. And it's from Pat Lencioni and his book, The Advantage. And in The Advantage, he talks about healthy companies and smart companies. And what Ryan was talking about is so much around smart, making sure that we have the right metrics. We know what's going on with our companies so we can make better decisions. Now, maybe you're thinking, I don't own a company. How does that apply to me? Well, you are running a company within your company. And if you are not taking smart metrics to make sure you're doing things as smartly as you can, you are probably wasting time, money, and energy. And let's face it, those are things that we do not want to waste. And those are things that if we do waste, they lead to burnout. So how smart Are we really making our decisions and do we have the tools to allow us to make those smart decisions? So by bringing Ryan on the show, I hope you're thinking about what you do with your day-to-day and how you can apply some of the things that we were talking about to make yourself a little more smart when it comes to work, to make your organization a little more smart when it comes to how you make decisions. Nation, it's all about knowledge and what you do with that knowledge is really the point. So I hope this helps point you in the right direction. Nation, earlier in the show, I mentioned The Hang. I would love to meet you on The Hang. This is a Zoom call that will last for exactly one hour starting at 6 p.m. Eastern time. This will be on July 13th. 
We will start off by having fun. You will meet new people. You will learn that you are not alone in some of the challenges that you might be facing. And then we are going to have a lot of fun together. So all this is completely free to you. All you have to do is go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash hang and you can register for this event and make sure you get it in your calendar. I've met so many people on the hang and I have heard so many success stories about people who met somebody who were able to answer a water treatment issue that they had maybe a couple of months later and they would not have had that opportunity had they not joined the hang and met that individual. Nation, once again, I really want to encourage you to take your certified water technologist designation if you have not done so. And to encourage you to do that, we have a course just for you. And you can go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash CWT prep. And in order to help you celebrate the 4th of July, put in promo code CWT10 to take 10% off the price and remove even one more barrier to getting your certified water technologist designation. Folks, I hope you've had a great day. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I can't wait to bring you a brand new one next Friday. Take care, folks.